Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever y'all in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Carter from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly Basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and you will find this show live on that uh, website on page one of that website on this uh, on the air tonight. If you have any questions or comments from my co-host, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you call Steve B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating the congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Live radio show. Before we go into our program this evening, I would ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. I pray that you'll be my uh, co-host Steve Cordo as he breaks into our listeners, the bread of life, and also my co-host Lynn McMillian, who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you'll bless them and their families that support their efforts, that it may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you'll be with our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked, and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do? To be saved. Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful unto death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. In the first segment, we have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook, that I'll be posing to my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Steve Cordo, he serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, 
Illinois. So open up your Bibles and open your minds, and let's have a great show after the break. The next portion will be that of Glenn McBillion answering our Shout It Out question. Enjoy the show. listening to the gospel light radio show shout it out question we have a question from my social media platform called shout it out that we'll be posing to my co-host glenn mcmillian he serves the waterview church of christ there in richardson texas glenn mcmillian how you doing my brother i'm doing fine are you i'm doing just fine now are you live on facebook i am live on facebook all right, ladies and gentlemen, we want to encourage our listeners to get involved in those biblical discussions. Just go to that shout-out platform there on Facebook. And you can also go to Glenn McMillian's Facebook page there. You'll see his live presentation on the show this evening, and I'll be sharing that page as well. Now, the question that we have, Glenn, now, I don't know how you're going to answer this question right here, brother. This, this is a good question right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one right here. Now, here's the question, uh, Glenn. It says, how does Christianity serve God? When it drives hate, the KKK, which is the Ku Klux Klan, fascist Nazism, communism, war, and genocide in America and the world among thousands of years of history in Europe 
and America. Now, what say you to this question? Oh, wow, that that is a an interesting question, and it's it's a good question. I think it's it's one that we as Christians need to be able to answer. I think that obviously the person who is asking this question is a little confused because uh, not all of those political movements have anything to do with Christianity. I mean, communism particularly is uh, anti-religious in its uh, orientation, but the general question remains. The general question is, is religion in general, and Christianity specifically, a source of, of conflict and therefore evil um, more than it is a source of good? Um, and this question is asked a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. And so it's good for us as, as Christians to be able to discuss this, to be able to have an answer uh, for the people who will ask this question um, as we do our, our work in spreading the gospel. So the question is, does Christianity drive uh, these things? Is there something in uh, the doctrine of Christ which commands or propels uh, these types of interactions? And, of course, uh, those of us who have studied the gospel in any uh, depth know that that's not what the teaching of Jesus uh, would bring about in a person who is faithfully following uh, the words of Christ. Uh, Jesus teaches us to to love our enemies, Uh, you know, pray for those who persecute us so that we may prove ourselves to be sons of the Father in heaven where he causes his son to rise on the good and the evil and sins reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. In that, that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Never repay evil to anyone. Respect all that is right in the sight of all people. But if possible, as far as it depends on you, have peace with all people. Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay you, says the Lord. But if your hungry enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will be burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Because uh, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our, our struggle is against rulers and powers, against the forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade people. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. So all of this is put together. We have this understanding of what Christianity, uh, the doctrine of Christ is telling us. That uh, our, our job as Christians is not to cause conflict or try or cause division or, or fight people or try to force anybody to do anything. Uh, we treat the people who treat us uh, respect. We treat them with respect. Uh, we give good out for evil that is given to us. We are taught to uh, live peaceable with all men. We are taught to um, just be agreeable in all situations as much as it depends on us uh, because we're not fighting against humans. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual forces, against doctrines, against ideas. And those. And what we use in our, in our warfare is the, the warfare of ideas. Uh, we, we persuade people. We try to convince them. Uh, we do not try to force them to do anything. So if this is what Christianity teaches, this, and this is consistent throughout all of Scripture, all, all of the New Testament, and you're not going to see anything that that will that you can really use to contradict that. However, so so we see that Christianity is not the driver here. There's nothing in Christianity that is propelling this, or commanding this, or or even encouraging uh, this type of behavior in any way. So if it's not the driver, then what is the driver? The driver is the same thing that is the driver in, in, in every situation. It's human greed, human uh, 
ambition, human desire to have power over other people. And therefore, having in, in the quest to have power over other people to, to, uh, to gain financially or, or, or politically from Christianity, it, it, it has been used as a tool uh, throughout history for people who have ill will and ill intentions to try to manipulate people into doing what they would want them to do as opposed to what the text and what Jesus would have us to do. And this is not something that is uh, unknown or unheard of or even unexpected uh, by the writers of the, of the New Testament. Uh, Paul would would tell Timothy in, in the first Timothy that there, there's going to be a time when there, when people are going to not adhere to sound doctrine and, and that they're going to uh, stack up these teachers these false teachers to, to to teach to the desires of the people who want to hear them and and cause them to go in a way that is not the way that Christ would have them to go. Jesus himself warned of wolves in sheep's clothing, the people that would come in and, and, and savage the flock. So this is not something unexpected. This is something that has always been... Uh, a, a, a concern since the beginning of Christianity and, and still is a concern to this day. Uh, be, people using the fact that we all have uh, these uh, structures around the, this belief system that we have. We, we have a common faith and we have people who we have entrusted to deliver and to interpret and to give us uh, spiritual guidance at times. And when those people have ambitions beyond what is best for the congregation and have their own personal ambitions, then they will use the trust that is placed in them to turn people to their own desires and and force them to do things that they would have them to do, uh, as opposed to what the Bible actually teaches and what, what Christ would actually have us to do. So that is the, the simple answer. And, and if you want to go into specific things, uh, you'd have to go a little bit farther down the road with those specific, specific items. I mean, uh, again, you, you can start with the, the ones that, he, that were listed in the question. Um, again, communism is, is an outlier. It doesn't have anything to do with Christianity or religion at all. So you can't blame religion for the, the evils of communism uh, and the havoc that it wreaked all over the world during the 20th century. Uh, that had nothing to do with religion. It is just power, naked power in and of itself. Uh, before the 20th century, though, it was common to to have uh, you know political leaders use the church. Uh, to satisfy their goals. I mean, back, you know, when we talk about the Crusades back in those days, it was all about the Catholic Church had huge political power over the empires of Europe. And so it was common to seek the blessing of the Catholic Church in, in order to achieve political ends. And then when England separated from the Catholic Church, they created their own church because they needed to accomplish their ends in a way that the Roman Catholic Church wasn't going to allow them to. So they created their own church, their own religion, and then used that religion to justify what they did. So it's it, it's it's always been a tool in the hands of people who had nefarious uh, intent. But Christianity has never been the driver of these things. It's, it's always been a justification or a uh, or, or a rallying cry in order to, to, to put a separation between us and them or, or, or our power the way that we want things to be and, and, and those people over there. Uh, and it, it's, it's very easy to make that case and make that dividing line when you have something that's as easily recognizable as those people worship other gods, and therefore 
we have justification to go and do whatever we want to them. But again, religion is not unique in that situation. And when religion wasn't the dividing line, they used other things. Uh, England and France had clashes over the years because of different language. Uh, you know, we in this country, it's, there's been a lot of clash over racial tensions. Those are not necessarily have anything to do with religion. Both both sides, in a lot of cases, were the same religion, but. People have always found some way, some wedge to divide themselves, and religion is just one of those things. Um, so again, that that may be going beyond the scope of the question. The, the question in and of itself, is, is Christianity the driver of these things? No, it's not. And Christianity serves God because it is the express will of God. The express will of God is for us to come closer to him through what Christ taught, and what Christ taught has nothing to do with violence, with hatred, with seeking political power. It has everything to do with submitting to uh, the will of God, and and being and part of being submissive to the will of God is being a blessing in the lives of the people that we come across. And so you can't do both. You can't have hatred and and, and animosity towards people, and also be a blessing in their lives. So you 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 have to. You have to choose one of those things, and, and Christianity calls us, calls us to choose uh, the path of righteousness and the path of being a blessing in the lives of those that we come in, you know, come in contact with, and then persuading them uh, to join us. Uh, and that's it. And and so that's what Christianity drives. That's what Christianity should motivate us to. Anything else beyond this is is not what the Bible teaches. And so if somebody is telling you that you need to hate somebody or it is okay to do violence towards somebody because that's what God would want, you know, again, tell them to show you. Where does it say in Scripture? And specifically, where does it say that in the New Testament? Because the New Testament is the law, is what Christianity is all about. Yeah, you can pull some things out of context in the Old Testament, which, again, has its own problems, um, it, again, that's always been a, a wedge that people don't understand the context of the Old Testament, and therefore they're trying to use Old Testament things in a New Testament context in order to justify um, the things that they wanted to do in the first place. None, none of that is the way that God would have us to, to use Scripture. We are... New Testament Christians, we are under the New Testament. The dictates of the New Testament do not do not allow for uh, hatred and violence in the practice of our religion. It's just, it's just not there. And anybody who says it's there or and says and is trying to justify those kinds of things it is a false teacher, and, and you need to separate yourselves from. So. I hope that answers the question. I hope that that gives enough um, information to to cover that topic. And if there's uh, more that needs to be said on that, we can explore that in later uh, lessons here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Steve B's New Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'll be hosting a live show, What a Word in the Lord radio show. And this show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. On the second Tuesday of the month, I'll be hosting a live show at from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And this show will consist of a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ who will be making a proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And also during that show, I have the Community Corner segment. That segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have two co-hosts on that show, Lou Gilbert. He serves as the evangelist for the Oakwood Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves as the, with the Church of Christ in Cary, North Carolina. Then on the third Tuesday of the month, the show will air from 7 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time and 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Dr. Entherica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. She'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, I'll be hosting the Gospel Light Radio Show, and this show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And there are seven co-hosts on this show, Clay Phillips, Dr. Frank Washington, Steve Porter, Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, Quentin Carruthers, and Brian Christian Coleman, and they will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week, I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out, so I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on this live show as well. Then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B, B Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this radio show is the 2022 recipient for the Lacama National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And this show will air from 9 to, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the Sweet Sounds of Voices. We're also interviewing artists uh, producers, writers, etc. And also debuting new music and featuring old music on this radio show as well. And every third Friday of the month I have my top 20 countdown show. And we also have on-demand episodes where we get your uh, various uh, podcasts from. You can go pull these on-demand episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. And we also have recorded version shows. These shows were album debuts mostly, so the same playlist is used on the live show on Blog Talk Radio is also used on these recorded version shows. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, Deezer, Amazon Music, and just search for Stevie B recorded version shows. I want to thank all of our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you would like to become a sponsor, just contact the sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco. She's from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954 687 05. And the three E's of Stevie B Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Oh, oh, oh. 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host steve cordo good evening stevie and thank you again for having me on the show and welcome to our audience on the blog talk radio uh, platform or wherever you happen to be listening to the show from. If you have your Bibles, I want to get them out. Uh, I'd like to open up to open up to uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, and then we're going to jump over to uh, Matthew 24 verse 35. We'll be looking at several other uh, passages of Scripture uh, this evening uh, as part of our lesson. And this is part of a series that I've been doing, or I recently completed, I should say, at our congregation here called Answering Our Culture. And this lesson is going to deal with trust. Specifically, can we trust the Bible? Now, when you hear the word trust, what do you think of? What what comes to your mind when you hear that word? The dictionary uh, says that trust is reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety, uh, of a person or a thing. Now, I'm not a scuba diver, but my understanding is that when you take up scuba, one of the things that they will teach you is that your bubbles are always right. So in other words, if you're deep underwater, maybe you can't really see the light coming down uh, through the uh, the ocean above you, uh, it can be difficult to tell which way is up because the water diffuses the light. And since you've got a sense of weightlessness in the water, it can be easy to get disoriented. And so you won't know which way is up, but as you are uh, exhaling, uh, the CO2 that you're exhaling uh, creates bubbles, and those bubbles always go up. And so even though you may think a certain direction is up, if your uh, bubbles are going in the opposite direction, that's the direction you need to go in, no matter what your feelings uh, are. And if a diver takes it upon himself to ignore those bubbles because he just happens to, well, know which way is up, uh, he does so at his own peril. Now, many people in the world today are like those scuba divers. They don't know which way is up. They're disoriented. They've lost their way because they've ignored the bubbles. In this case, the bubbles being God's word. Uh, people in our culture and in our nation have ignored the only thing in life that is really trustworthy and that is the scriptures. Now, some will even know the right way, but they choose to live as they please. Uh, I've run into people, and I'm sure you have too, who grew up in in church-going homes, were taught the Word of God. They were taught a biblical worldview and a biblical sense of morality. But now here, 10, 15, 20 years later, uh, they're living anything but a, a biblical worldview. They've gone through multiple divorces. They're maybe in some kind of a same-sex relationship. They're doing all kinds of uh, unethical things, even though they were raised uh, in, in a good church-going home. Now, we've heard it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's actually an incorrect statement. The correct statement is, God said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. We are told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, some people will, when it comes to the Bible, will try and create a conflict, and our culture does this, a conflict between, say, for instance, the Bible and science. I was having a discussion with a relative here about six months or so ago, and she said, well, I believe in science. Well, guess what? I believe in science, too. And even though the Bible is not a science book, it does contain scientific truth. When the Bible speaks of things that have to do with the world in which we live, those statements are in agreement with what we know of scientific facts. For instance, uh, in uh, Job chapter 26, he uh, says there that the earth hangs on nothing. But But the Hindus believe that four elephants support the earth and carry it around. Ancient Greeks believed Atlas holds the earth on his shoulders. And in Egypt, a solid crystalline sphere or firmament 
was what supported the earth according to their mythology. Uh, in Leviticus uh, chapters uh, 13 through 15 and in Deuteronomy 23 are laws about quarantines and waste disposal. And most Gentile communities dump their trash in waterways or in the streets. And during the uh, great plagues that swept through Europe, uh, supposedly the Jewish communities were not as affected by those uh, diseases like the plague as the Gentile communities because many of the European communities just dumped the trash in the street or wherever they could find a place. The Jews, on the other hand, buried it. And I think in some cases burned it. So it was not allowed to fester and attract rodents and bacteria and all those nasty things that make us sick. Now, the Bible does disagree with certain scientific theories, now, theoretical but unproven assumptions that scientists might believe, such as the so-called theory of evolution. Where there are indisputable scientific facts, the Bible always agrees with science. So when we read the scriptures, we can believe them. When we read about God's promises, we can count on them. Now, here's a caveat that I have to give, and that is I don't promise to have all the answers, and I don't promise that you will be satisfied with all the answers that I offer in this series, but I do promise to do my best to be able to give an answer. Now, I want to be like Peter uh, suggested. Peter suggested that uh, we all uh, be able to give a reason for the hope that is with us with meekness and fear whenever anyone asks us. And we are told in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. In Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. So as we're answering our culture, our culture says you cannot trust the Bible. I believe we can trust the Bible. And this uh, series was based on a book called True for You But Not for Me, which helps uh, uh, Christians respond to some of these uh, questions that get thrown our way, like is Christianity really the only faith? Uh, what do you do with religious pluralism? What do you do with evolution? And, and what about Jesus? And this series has been going through some of these questions raised by that, by that book, True for You But Not for Me. So as we're looking at the Bible, our society, our culture says we can't trust it, but how do we know that the Bible we have today is accurate? It's a good question. People will ask questions like that because the last book of the Bible was completed sometime in the middle to late first century. And so how do we know? Well, we use this term inerrant to describe our belief that the scriptures were written by their original authors like Matthew, Mark, or Isaiah, or Moses, or whoever. They were written by the original authors totally and completely without error. The message has stayed the same over the centuries. The gospel we preach today, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can get to the Father except through him, that's the same thing the first century church preached. And since the message has remained the same, there's, let's look at three questions about how the Bible came to us. First, can we trust the copying process? We don't have what are called the, the autographs, that is, the original documents. So how do we know the copyist got it right? Well, there's a lot, a lot of detail we could go into for that, but we'll try and sum it up here and put it in a nice, neat little package. Uh, the, the written materials written by the original authors have disappeared. We don't have them uh, over time. But we can look at how it was done. We know from historical records, for instance, the Old Testament copyists used a highly specific system that assured all copies were totally accurate. And that was done by the Jewish scribes, and a few of the rules that they had when they made a uh, copy of a scroll, uh, first of all, the scroll had to be on a kosher animal. They used animal skins way back before paper came around. And so it had to be a kosher. Kosher comes from the Hebrew word for clean. So they could uh, use, say, the height of a cow, but they couldn't use the height of a pig because the pig's not kosher. And so the skin also had to contain a certain number of columns. And um, the length of each column must not extend over uh, uh, 48 and no more, or should not be less, I got that backwards, should not be less than 48 inches and no more than 60 inches. And no word or letter, not even a yod, could be written from memory. The scribe would have to, uh, they would typically say the letter and then write it down. And a yod was a small, um, the smallest character in the Hebrew alphabet. 
And then the name of God must be written with a new pen, a kosher. Remember, they, they would use uh, usually uh, bird feathers. Had to be a kosher bird dipped in ink. And should a king address the copyist while writing that name, he must take no notice of the king. So if you're the copyist and you're sitting there and uh, you come across the name of God, oh, and the other thing they had to do, they wouldn't say the name of God for fear of mispronouncing it. Uh, they uh, many times would stop and bathe and put on clean clothes and then get the quill of a kosher bird and then write the uh, the name of God and not saying the name of God out loud, but writing it. So if the king walks in and says, hey, how's it going? You ignore him while you're writing the name of God. That's how serious they took it. And then once completed, the copy would be examined and compared to the original. And if everything was in order, it was kept. If an error was found, if if there were 20 uh, characters in a given line and the copy only had 19, then the copy was destroyed. It had to be exact, an exact match to the original. And then with the New Testament, there's more evidence, documentary evidence for the reliability of the New Testament than any other ancient document. It's a little bit technical here, and this works better if you could see the charts that I've got. But we have to remember the New Testament was written somewhere, or all the letters rather, were written somewhere between about 45 AD and 95. Uh, we again don't have the autographs, don't have the originals, but we do have approximately 5,000 copies the oldest dating from about A.D. 125. And a good resource for this is a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, written by Josh McDowell. Uh, he wrote it originally in the 70s. It's been updated many times, and Josh McDowell now, I think, is in his early to mid-80s. But his son, Sean, has kind of taken over the ministry and has um, uh, done an updated version of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And there are, as I said, 5,000 copies in whole or in part. Some of them are just fragments. The oldest verifiable copy of anything in the New Testament is a copy of John chapter 18, verses 31 to 33, and then uh, verses 37 to 38. Now, this is what's called a fragment. This isn't the whole sc uh, scroll. But this fragment, which is about the size of a credit card or a debit card, uh, contains uh, it's uh, John uh, chapter 18, those verses that I cited, and uh, it dates, the copy dates to about A.D. 125. So the original obviously had to have been written um, prior to that. Now, we compare that to Homer's Iliad, which was written approximately 1260 to 1184 B.C. And we have a total of about 640 copies in existence that we know. The earliest of those copies dates from approximately 760 B.C., so about 500 years after Homer uh, wrote uh, the Iliad. And then there's an interesting one called the Magdalene Papyrus, and it's a fragment of Matthew chapter 26. And it's in the uh, Magdalene uh, Museum at uh, Oxford University in uh, England. It's where it gets its name. And it could, and I emphasize the word could, date from the late first century. Now, there's some controversy over this. Uh, some date it to more into the second or even into the third century. But just think about that for a minute. If we could positively date this to the first century, some think it was written in the last third of the first century, so from about AD 65 or 66 to uh, 99. And again, there's controversy over that. But I've wondered, and this is a long shot, uh, the, the, the odds of this are so slim as they could be called invisible, but I've wondered if that could be, if this Magdalene papyrus could be positively dated to the first century, I was wondering, which would be kind of neat to think that maybe the copyist had Matthew's original in his hand and copied from it. I mean, it's a long shot that that could have happened, but I thought the idea was kind of interesting. So we've got good documentary uh, evidence for the Old and the New Testament, but who put the Bible together? How did we get it? And that's one of the charges leveled against the Bible, and especially the New Testament, is that it was put together by a bunch of old, white-haired, oppressive Christians who decided what would be included so they could control the Christian church and any other societies that they came in contact with. But that's not true. So how did we get the, the Bible? Well, the Old Testament uh, of the Christian Bible, uh, what we call the Old Testament, is the same collection that uh, was and is today recognized by the Jewish community. Our Old Testament contains all the books and writings of the Hebrew Scripture 
and these had been held as authoritative for centuries before the time of Christ. And as for the New Testament, there was a time when the church leaders came together because false teachings were beginning to appear, and uh, there was a lot being taught that was contrary to the apostles' original doctrine. And so they had to figure out what to do about this. Well, the main qualification for inclusion was that a book or a letter had to have been written by a known apostle, or at least the follower of an apostle, not just uh, some random unknown uh, uh, author or, or preacher. Uh, so that, of course, then what do you do with Hebrews? Because it, we don't know who the author is. Well, I believe in the first century they knew who wrote Hebrews. Whether it was Paul or whether it was Barnabas or whether it was somebody else, I believe his identity was known, but for whatever reason, it's not included in the letter. But the writings were examined also for accuracy, just like with the Old Testament, to be sure any given book was consistent with the message of Christ that was recorded by his eyewitnesses. That would be like a, um, uh, John was one of the, the apostles, Matthew uh, Luke, we know, uh, investigated and interviewed people, and Mark probably got a lot of his information from Peter. So councils did not actually decide what would be called the Word of God. They just recognized what was already the Word of God. And, uh, you know, a lot of people bring up Constantine, and I've even seen a few sources that said, oh, Constantine wrote the New Testament, and he invented modern Christianity. No, he's way overrated when it comes to... Um, uh, how the New Testament came about. So then, uh, we so the churches were just validating what was already uh, gathered as as writings, as the inspired texts uh, of what we call the New Testament. The Old Testament had been settled centuries before then. So then, what about the stories of Jesus? We see those recorded in the New Testament. Uh, are they legends or what? Well, there's no question that Jesus of Nazareth lived during the time claimed by the New Testament. Uh, he is mentioned in sources also outside uh, of the Bible. In fact, I've been going through a couple of books now. One is called Jesus Outside the New Testament. And uh, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. Uh, and then the main question, of course, centers around Jesus' miracles, and then especially his death and resurrection. Now, some reasons for believing that the, uh, what the Bible says about Jesus are, number one, they were written by eyewitness accounts. John chapter 19 says, one of the soldiers pierced his side and a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so you may believe. So he has testified. He's giving his testimony. This is almost like taking an oath uh, that he is telling the truth, that he saw the soldier pierce his side, uh, pierce Jesus' side. And then in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, Another eyewitness account where Peter says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made it known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the uh, excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from the heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Matthew 17 and the transfiguration. So, so Peter here is claiming to have been an eyewitness. He was there. We were eyewitnesses, he says. So there's eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. And then the New Testament, the thing you got to keep in mind, the New Testament writers are willing to die for what they wrote. And people today, it seems like, are not willing to cross the street for what they believe in. But in the first century, you had writers that were willing to die for the... Um, uh, for, for what they were writing, for what they were believing, for what they were proclaiming. And then we have a lot of archaeological evidence that the New Testament was right in describing the geography and the political leaders, how Luke in the book of Acts used correct terminology for various office holders. So we can see that Christianity is a reasonable faith. This is not a blind faith. You know, a lot of people's idea about Christianity is, well, you have to check your brain at the door when you walk in the church building. Not so. You need to keep that brain with you. Don't check it, because you have to think to be a Christian. By placing your trust in the Bible, you're recognizing that it can stand the scrutiny of reasonable people, and that is including yourself. So if you, if you are someone who, who's, who are not a Christian, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, 
get into the Bible and start studying it and and see what it says to do to become a Christian. And have you done that? I mean, you've been listening tonight, so obviously you've heard the word preached. Uh, but do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And if you are, then I would get in touch with somebody at a local congregation and talk to them about becoming a Christian. Because now if you believe in Jesus, that's great. You still need to be immersed to have your sins forgiven, as Peter uh, told the crowd to do in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He never told them to pray or do anything like that. He simply told them to be immersed uh, in answer to their question, what must we do? What shall we do? They were asking to do something. Well, somebody says to you, oh, you don't need to do anything, just believe, uh-uh, wrong answer. Uh, they, they were asking, what must we do? And Peter didn't tell them or correct them. He said, look, let every one of you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. That is how you become a Christian. It's not praying any sinner's prayer or anything like that. So I want to thank you for joining us and for tuning in and seeing that the Bible is a book that we can trust and trust it with your salvation. And we'd like to help you if you're not a Christian. Uh, contact uh, Stevie through his social media or uh, any of your friends. or the, uh, We'll get you in touch with a congregation of the Lord's Church in your area that uh, can teach you further what you need to do to become a Christian. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show, Stevie. That's my lesson for this evening, and we'll catch you on the next uh, episode. We'll talk to you later. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I went to a funeral of a friend of mine. My old friends were standing around with tears in their eyes. I thought, what could I say to take away some of their pain? I stepped out of that funeral home. I wrote this refrain. It goes, a whole lot of life gone by. So you need to give Jesus a try. You'll find yourself walking in the light. Everything gonna be alright. Don't you know that the devil gonna tell you that lie? That you can live any way that you like. And since we know we're gonna die, you need to give Jesus a try. Tell me,
it's a try. You'll find yourself walking in the light. Everything gonna be alright. Don't you know that the devil's gonna tell you that lie? But you can live any way that you like. And since we know we don't lie, you can give Jesus a try. listening to the gospel light radio show ladies and gentlemen that's our show i want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of god's word i want to thank my co-host steve cordo for bringing us that lesson and also my co-host glenn mcmillian for answering our shout out question on the broadcast this evening certainly appreciate both the uh our co-host's effort on the show this evening it is my prayer that the lessons and the things that were said on this radio show this evening have been a uh, beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you not only tuned in this radio broadcast but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word so until we meet again I pray God's continual blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real real good you've been listening to the gospel light radio show we have my co-host we really do appreciate your love and support for these programs I'm your host Steve R. Butler good night everybody God bless you you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know, Lord, I know the Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh, yeah. Yes, he will. He will. I know the Lord. I know the Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Call on you and you step in right time. Oh yeah. I know the Lord. Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh yeah. When Lord, I'm trying (laughs) every day (laughs) to walk in the right way.
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.